Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. You hear the coughing in the background. You know what that is? Get ready for some awesome. There it is, Jonathan Stormont calling in. Uh, Before we get to kind of like a... uh, I don't want to say it's a reformatted wrap-up podcast, but we're kind of doing things a little different. We're going to try something out and let us know what you think about it. But before we get to this new and improved wrap-up idea, it might not be, it might be worse and diminished in improvement, deprovement. But let me tell you something that's definitely been improved. Every year continues to get better. Our friends at Pepperdine University, their Bible lectures. This year, Harbor, April 30th through May 3rd in beautiful Malibu, California. Jonathan, what are you most excited about about Harvard this year? Wow, that is so easy. Getting to see all my friends from Highland. Hands down. All two of them? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I will get to see people from my past. I've been... And and, uh, I'm excited about the worship this year more than I ever have been. Uh, I am, I mean, I am probably more excited about this Pepperdine more than any Pepperdine I've ever been to. Why are you so, more excited about the worship just, this year? Uh, I mean, it's just, I, I feel like the worship that I was at at Highland and the Hills was a lot more like Pepperdine. So I kind of took it for granted. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, anyway, you, is there a worship leader so, out there called uh, Josh? The worship- Josh Casinger isn't he one of the worship leaders out Kasinger? there? Yeah, have you ever heard of him? Yeah, he is. We just hired him. Oh, that's so, right. And he'll be leading. Uh, but anyway, uh, okay. Guest the- speakers include. Rabbi David Wolp, the senior rabbi of the Sinai Temple in Los Angeles, author of the book David, the Divided Heart, which has been optioned for a movie. Come on now, that sounds interesting. McLaughlin, Don McLaughlin, friend of the show, Jerry Taylor, doing a pre-conference on practical steps for race relations entitled No Longer Strangers Should Be Good. Uh, April 30th through May 3rd. Click on the show notes to get more information about that. And you can see me and Jonathan and the two friends he still has from the church that let him go. Out in Texas. So. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. For, for everybody who doesn't know Luke's silly sense of humor, they didn't fire me. He's trying to spin the fact that they actually let, they didn't hold me hostage as letting that's, me go. That's so, one of those tomato-tomato tomato, t- tomato, tomato things. You know, Jonathan, before you moved to Arkansas, we had some ongoing jokes about the possible inability for you to have good internet service in Arkansas, and I feel like today those words have become prophetic because it feels like you're kind of cutting out a little bit. And just let people know like that is the, the whole Arkansas experience you're giving to us, so thank you for that. <laughs> but you're also, you're also playing... Okay, s- so... Yeah, I'm sick. So I'm quarantined in our back bedroom. I've been wearing a face mask for the last few days. Uh, my daughter, Hannah, just asked, Dad, are you still allergic to children? <laughs> so I, the, our router is further away from the um, computer than I would like it to be, ideally. But 
Leslie is leaving with the kids, and so I will walk to another room, Mr. Picky. Oh, well, that's, that is so kind of you. Uh, so you've been quarantined back there, but you're going to try to power through and do the podcast, which is something I definitely appreciate. Like Jordan. Like Jordan. This is like the flu game, and I'm Scotty Pippen to your Jordan. I'm going to carry you to the sidelines. Um, yeah, that's... That's beautiful. Since Scotty Pippen I like actually, that metaphor. Since Scott, Scott, you're Scotty Pippen. Well, obviously, Scotty Pippen played college basketball in Arkansas, so you probably would uh, need to be him in this metaphor also because, <laughs> I mean, the obvious stuff. The gambling habit of mine. I have an ongoing gambling habit that's going to kick me out of the NBA. No, um, okay, back. Also, I heard you're, you're balding like Jordan. Easy. Like because of the hairpiece? No, no, no. No, that, it's a... John, you wore a hairpiece on there, Hey, you know, there is a line, and you just crossed it. We can joke about a lot of stuff. That is not one of them. No, I had an, uh, an email from a parishioner who thought that the video that she had seen of the previous week's service included a new and improved appearance of her preacher because she thought I was wearing a hairpiece. And I don't even... I, that happened. That, that really... Which is... The, the hairpiece happened? No, that email happened. You're, really. you're confirming. No, it, I don't have a hairpiece. Like for a second, you were trying to get something off your chest no. or head. For that. No. no, that that didn't happen. Also, <laughs> I feel like this. I feel like this does hit way closer to home than you're actually like uh, admitting. Like just. It, bothered you more. No, here's the thing, Jonathan. I just, I'm just like a shark on the blood. What You're, I'm first of all, that's yeah, that's very sharkophobic. Okay, not all sharks just come attack people, and so you're perpetuating dysfunctional stereotypes and unhealthy stereotypes about God's creation. So, if you can live with that, that's on you. Second of all, what this is doing is I'm I'm looking at you like I feel like I'm on a dial-up modem right now. I see like every four seconds the screen bad? move, but I, like again, like this is what we all knew. You're going to Arkansas. Do you have internet? I don't know. It's it's kind of foreshadowing because. Remember that episode when Pete Enns was on and it was clearly like his neighbor's stolen dial-up internet a couple years ago? Uh, yeah. It's foreshadowed because I, th- I think he's going to come back on the next month because he's got a new book and uh, maybe this is just getting ready for that. Um, but in the meantime, there are plenty of things for us to discuss. Plenty of things. Yeah. You know, I, um, I recently referenced uh your beloved harding university which you you're in the shadows of right now and i am and so like uh, black and gold hey, is, wait, my beloved harvard you you went to harding too yeah I, I went there for one year my yeah one of my daughters asked if i went to harvard and i was like no i went to harding she goes oh i thought you went to Har- harvard is that the same thing as harding and i was like <laughs> you have no idea you have no idea harvard how to- of the south Harvard of the South. No, no one, no one says that. No one actually calls it the, the Harvard of the South. That that doesn't happen. But I referenced in a sermon a chapel speech that was given by the former president George Benson. Uh, I believe the year was 1959, and the chapel speech was entitled "Harding College in the Negro Question," and he gave a chapel speech about 
how Harding should never integrate, and he compared it to um, some of the... His comparison was to some of the birds of the air. And he said, uh, the blackbird and the bluebird, the blue jay and the mockingbird, they don't mix and mingle young people. And he was talking about how that's how white people and black people shouldn't be. Now, obviously, we look back on that and we're all like, what is wrong with you? How could you say that as a Christian? But it's the simple move is just to go, oh, I'm so much better than that person. But the more substantial move that we all have to make is, okay, I I could easily do that what are the things that I'm doing right now that people are going to be aghast to look back on 70 years from now and go, I can't believe you thought or did that. So when you think, think about 70 years from now, what do you think people are going to be asking? How could you do that about us? Well, what do you think first? Do you have any ideas? I mean, I, I, I definitely have all kinds of opinions, but okay. So the, th- the things that jump out, first and foremost, um, I mean, it's not like we're, quote, unquote, past race. So I feel like that's still on the table. Yeah. But for the sake Hold of on. argument. I had a preacher buddy, a mutual friend, say a few years ago, what do you think the black people of 2015 are? And I was like, black people? <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like it's, you know, there, there's all these you know, <laughs> Jim Crow laws are not in effect in theory, but yeah. you know the um, there is still a lot of racial inequality stuff that is. So I would I would start by saying yeah that you, you can't you can't have the premise of since we've evolved from that yeah because it's not I mean there's there's still it's a more elegant racism and it takes different shapes. And it's very compli- complicated and complex, but yeah. I like the, the phrase, an elegant racism. With, From uh, it's like, Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Did you see the, um, it was the March for Life uh, incident where the, Christ- the Catholic Christian school kids yeah. in the I face of the Native... I did not see that. I tried I, not to be on social media at all, and I saw... I mean, yeah, it was everywhere. Well, okay, so I... I didn't say anything about it. I didn't post about it. I didn't want to jump in the middle of it. I've seen a lot of people since then jump back and say, uh, yeah. you know, I spoke out. I spoke maybe too soon. There's more context. But one of the, the resounding questions that has been sh- showing up is, would a person of color get the same sort of Today Show treatment where they would get friendly questions and asked that same sort of clarifying stuff? And the White as, House. Yeah, and and would would that have happened the same way? Now I, I don't know the answer to that. I, you would like to think that 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 would happen, but the fact that they're still concerned that that sort of fair treatment in a secondary way, uh, in I don't want to say secondary way, like a, a secondary act like that would be what you're describing as like that elegant elegant racism where it doesn't yeah. look the same. It, it's not obviously 1960s, but it's still there. Okay, so circling back to the question, um, we're not saying that race isn't on the table like that's still not gonna be something that people are gonna ask in 70 years what are you thinking um i i think the things that it, gender i think sexuality um poverty uh how we treat immigrants and people who are you know from different countries i think those mm-hmm. are probably the four that jump out to me what about you well you know what i'm gonna say right like uh oh yeah you're gonna yeah the the uh, People from Arkansas, basically. 
Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to try to start a movement where Arkansans think about their state the way Texans do. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good yeah. luck. We're going to start flying our flag as high as the U.S. flag. <clears throat> and do you guys Christian have a flag? flag. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have a flag. Um, I think education is the one that is most often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, rural versus urban kind of divide. Uh, there, there's a elitism that I think you're seeing in the Trump, you saw in the Trump election. You know, the New York Times and every, everybody, all these pollsters said there's no way that this guy can do it because they're not asking people who are um, who, who don't have, you know, uh, GED and uh, if they do, you know, they're not telling them what they think because they don't want to sound stupid because uh, people who have a certain amount of education don't seem very good at understanding the lives of people who do who uh, don't have it. Yep. Um, and, and then also I would say the number one justice issue has always been and always will be economic. So, <clears throat> like, uh, I mean, in the Bible, can you think of... Uh, I mean, how many times in the Bible can you think of when God calls something justice and it's not related uh, primarily to economics? Yep, you know, yep. widows, foreigners, all those things are, you know, it's the vulnerable and marginalized, but they're economically marginalized. Uh, the, so Even I, the thing I, about the, the scales, like the scales being weighted correctly. I mean, that's economic justice. Yeah. So, so in Arkansas, where I'm from, the, the thing, and I, I say this to people often, one of the things that hurt poor white people the most is racism. Because richer people sold the bill of goods that, uh, yeah, you may not have everything and you may not be able to be upwardly mobile because the system's kind of rigged, but you can feel better about calling that guy an N-word. And so the the basic... Hold on, okay. Hey, let's go back to that. So poor people were not obviously explicitly told, but there was a sense that it was communicated that even if you don't have a better off life, you can push them down uh, linguistically with how you describe them. And that in some ways creates a sense that you have more than, than someone else. And yes. And it was just in the air. I mean, growing up, it was not probably as strong as it was when it was growing up for my parents because it was definitely strong for them. I mean, I've gone to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis with Mom a couple of times, and she'll just tell stories. And she says the N-word in the place where Dr. King was assessed. But she's just, I mean, she's trying to tell the story about what other people said to her. And, you know, the stories that she's told me are, you know, it it was just, it was a a way of, the human, like the human heart, is it always building idols to make us yeah. feel better? And um, one of the things that, you know, in, in the meritocracy that is the USA, where if you feel like you failed, if, you, if you're in poverty, you feel like you, um, you're a failure. The one thing that white, uh, white poor people had was, well, that's not, at least we're not them. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's interesting. Know, the 
and, and it's not just Southern uh, white people who, but it, there was an article in the Times this this uh, um, Sunday or Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. that I thought was fascinating about Dr. King's take on Northern racism from white people who applauded what he was doing in the South, but were really mad when he was doing it in the North. Because, you know, and I, I think, man, that is, that is one of the more fascinating things to dig into. Yeah. Hmm. Because it's real easy to be against other people's racism until you start realizing, okay, this is a human problem. And yeah. when, whenever they did exactly the kind of direct action stuff they were doing in the South, up in like New York City, because of police treatment or whatever it was, people, uh, their, what he called our quote unquote uh, pretend allies, show their true colors. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the issue is you, you always wanted to, to be about them and their problem. And we can all rally, rally around that and say, oh, yeah, we've got to we've got to deal with that problem, but not about my own problem. And I think that's the I think that's that's the impulse that says I'm going to tell that story about George ben, Benson in you know 70 years ago and think I'm so much better than them without asking the question of, oh, yeah, what about me? What am I doing right now? So, you know, your response uh the undereducated, the the poor, uh, sticking with your moniker as the J.D. Stormont of the Churches of Christ. <laughs> hey, it's not just me. You know, uh, Beck had a great blog a couple of years ago where he, he just basically went through, and I still consider myself, like, I, I have way more, um, I, I don't, I don't, Anyway, he was he was basically going through and saying, as a labor of love to all my progressive Christians out there, here's what's wrong with us. And mm-hmm. one of his top ones was, when did we stop caring about the poor? When did it all become about, you know, identity politics and things that uh, were going to get you retweeted and, and saved or likes yep. or whatever? Um, yep. It went... Because I, I honestly don't hear people outside of like a Shane Claiborne um, being very vocal about uh, sorry, what's poverty. Yeah. And I'm sure I know I know that's wrong. I'm sorry, that's a bad uh, overstatement. But but I think there, if someone looked at it, I would I would take the over that there's you know twice as much, three times as much com- comment about one type of justice. And instead of concern for the poor as, as that type of just, yeah, I, I get it. You're 100% right. Okay. Uh, we're going to change gears for a second. Um, this, uh, I guess it was, uh, I'd that this comes out. It'd be basically two weeks. Um, since our friend Josh Patrick mm. passed away. And, uh, j- f- for those of you who don't know, Josh was on the podcast probably four years ago, uh, three and a half years ago. And he had just been diagnosed a few weeks before uh, with brain cancer that uh, always pointed to, to I mean, stage four, that it was, it was going to be there forever with him. And we had heard a few weeks back, we got a group email saying that he had got some bad news. I think we were all kind of under the assumption that it was going to be a couple months. And then the news yeah. came that it, it was not going well and then um, passed away that Sunday. I guess you found out Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah. I told you I thought about him in the middle of um, 
our Sunday morning assembly. Just, you know, kept, but that was when he died. I mean, around, around that time. So. Yeah. Uh, it, I went back after uh, Josh Ross had said something to me about the uh, that episode with with Patrick, and it took me a day or two to go back and listen to it. And when I did, I was uh, I, obviously it's a you know beautiful picture of the kind of hope and faith that, mm-hmm. that Josh had, and the way that he could encourage so many of us, even through you know such terrible stuff, uh, terrible news, and you know processing you know. Is his wife going to like the language that the, the conversation he's having is, and that he's mentioning is I'm thinking about, you know, what happens if I pass away? Is, is someone else going to raise my, my girls? Is someone else going to mm-hmm. uh, marry my hus- my wife? Someone else, someone's going to be a new husband in my family. Like I, that's, but yet even in spite of that, he was so, so faithful and hopeful. He, he was always one of the most hopeful ones among us. I mean, uh, just always oriented to God's good future. And um, the, I mean, we, you remember when four years ago or whatever, those emails started going around and um, the just kind of kick in the gut it was. And then the, the roller coaster of, it looks like the chemo's working and, um, I mean, he was super transparent about how scary he was. I went back and listened to that podcast too, just because I missed him. And um, he was super transparent about how scary he was. And I, I never really thought about the fear part of finding out, or the anxiety part of what it would be like to find out that you have stage four cancer, and um, then for that ultimately to, to go south. Uh, but I will say he his he lived a great life in his past four years. Um, he he lived them as well as you could, you know, like uh, a man who is robbed of of years, but sure that God is going to restore the years of the locust of Eden. Um, a man who trusted God was good enough that he could trust his daughters. To God, you know what I mean? Like yep. that that's the kind of stuff that makes me love Josh Patrick and makes me sad for us, but yep. um, yeah, we're definitely peace and rise in glory. Yes, sir. Amen to that. Um, yeah, definitely a sad day. Sad day. And you know, churches in Nashville um will miss them. I've I've uh yeah, I wish you could have been there for the service. I wasn't able to make it up there, but uh, you know, I heard uh, it was a beautiful service, and yeah, uh, uh, yeah, just just that. It, it, I don't know why it hit me more, but father of three daughters, and mm-hmm. thinking of like you're saying, you know, trusting God with your with your girls is uh, it's a road I don't want to go down, and mm-hmm. having to think through that, and I, uh, yeah, I, I join with uh, all those who are sending their love and their prayers for them. It's just sad. You know, we, we love, uh, slavery of death stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jesus came to set us free from the slavery of death. And I think we're getting to the, um, age where we stop being young ish preachers 
And, you know, even though, you know, with the hairpiece, you can still pull off youngish, but we're, we, how we get dare it. you? <laughs> Um, we're getting to the age where like peers are our age are dying um, and and so it stops being like a thing that 50 year old people need to worry about and starts being like something that the anxiety starts to get a grip on us through that right yep. and it sounds yep. it sounds cliche to say things that are super hopeful in, in the face of that. And to be, to be sure, like say all the things that need to be said in the face of that. But, um, Jesus came to set us free from the fear, the slavery of the fear of death and, uh, to take baptized men and women to places that only dead people can go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely changes that resurrection stuff. And I th- I think in what we do because of our you know, our professional role puts us in those rooms with those people who've experienced suffering and loss and who have to deal with death. It doesn't seem as distant to me, you know, cuz you and I've been there. Like, yeah, right. You, oh you yeah, bet- all the time. Yeah. And but something about the kids part, like that, like this, mm-hmm. this affected me in a different way. I, like I, I found out, um, literally just minutes before I was supposed to go down to do our, uh, evening service at Westover South. And I, like I told my, uh, my coworkers down there, I was like, I, guys, I can't make it. I can't do this right now. And I, so, so I'm not naive to the fact that like the death happens to all of us and that life is a miss and one day it's all going to be gone. Uh, but I think it's that vulnerability that like you can't, I can't protect my daughters from my own mortality right. yeah. and I, I can't protect, protect them from having to experience that. And it's, you know, it's a reminder that, you know, control is like, just like, it's a myth. Like you don't have yeah. control as much as you think it you do. And, yeah. 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 So that was, um, yeah, I, I would highly encourage people to go back and listen to that episode with, uh, Josh Patrick or, or go find one of his sermons online and, uh, you know, be connected to, you know, the goodness of who that guy was. And you know yeah. about, uh, Luther talking about a good death. No, what do you say? I think, um, he just, there was a time, I think it was when, uh, Something was happen, happening in Germany or whatever it was called then um, where there was like a plague that was coming and people were going to leap trying to figure out if they should leave or yep. if the Christians should leave or if they should stay and care for the sick. And he said, if you leave, that's understandable. But if you stay and care for the sick, it will be a good death. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I always have wanted to have a good death. And I do think Josh did. What do you think makes you know? a death a good one? Well, I think he had time to say what he needed to say to the people he needed to say it to. Yeah. Um, I think it, even listening to that podcast four years ago, he had remarkable clarity on things that, um, you know, mattered and things that didn't. The, you know, I, 
I love that he did what he what he what he was called by God to do up until the very last week he died. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he 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 was writing sermons. He was discipling people. He was you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. uh, he was spending time with his family, um, and he he goes down to the grave good and loved by a faith community that he poured his life into. And uh, anyway, yeah, I, 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 I can't speak for him, but I, I would assume that that sort of it, it's closure and regret to me that jump out. Like you want to have the closure of, okay, I'm I'm ready for this. I'm going to say what I need to say. I want to speak my piece, and I, I don't want to have these monumental regrets. Like oh, like life includes regret because everyone, in hindsight, sees decisions that they made that they would have done differently, and that. 2020 perspective is only found afterwards. So there's always going to be things that we regret, but in terms of the substantial things of, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize my life. Well, I'm going to put things first. that need to become first. Like, I, I feel like those two things l- let you uh, yeah. ha- have a good death. And like you said, like he's going to do his calling. He's going to be with his family, going to be with the people he loves the most. Like that's, that's a grace. We, my wife's uncle uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer, which is what Josh Patrick passed away from as well. And he was, um, back in August, uh, he was a college professor, had just finished up his first book, and he's a, a, a grandfather and uh, just had trouble putting senses together. And there's something that, like, his mental uh-huh. acuity wasn't there. And so they take him in, say he has brain cancer, uh, they do a surgery. And uh, he, he's still around. We we got to see him at Christmas. Didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, but so this just happened. Yeah, like th- this is. It, he's still around right now, but it's. Oh, okay. There's not. Like, he's in hospice right now. But at, okay. what I'm saying is, like, he he goes in for uh, to the hospital because he's he's not putting senses together. They have to do a surgery almost immediately, and then the surgery. Um, He's he he's not the same person after the surgery that he was before, and he he doesn't have the mental function that he did before, and so it was like in an instant he he went from uh, you know being this college professor, PhD, finishing up a book, and it's just yeah, it's just gone, and, and so there's a sense like that it. it the family had time to make peace and, and be with him and brace for this. But in another, just like in an instant, oh, what, yeah. he, what he it has, goes, just, it's gone. I do feel like that's one of the great things about this kind of calling is you get to hold death close. Like you said, we're in the funerals, we're in the hospitals often. And so I don't, I don't think that, I think preachers that are doing a lot of funerals and, and like, Writing funerals where you're crying tears because you, you know. Yeah. I think maybe that minimizes some regret, and that you, you yeah. hold death close. Think if I if I do this, I'm not going to like the kind of life or funeral that I have. Yes, yeah, sitting with uh, widows and hearing them talk about their <laughs> deceased husband, That's you go. It. All right, I gotta, I gotta do this I'm one a right. Turd. I've got to change. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the thing that comes to mind more than anything else is uh, I think of well it doesn't matter I won't get into names but the just the the peop, 
spouses burying their spouse and talking about how because you know behind every one of those those stories i feel like marriage is never more of a sacrament than when you're doing the funeral of somebody who has died and and they're you know over the casket they're you know holding their hands they're weeping and you think and that is the love of god parable for the world um and it was it was made up of all these taking out the trashes when you didn't want to, apologizing when you felt like you were still mostly right. You know, uh, just the it's decades of that kind of stuff, and um, that's what makes up a sacrament for the church and for the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to someone who's a, a seven that doesn't do what we do for a living. And here in this seven, talk about like darkness or death. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you, you don't do this professionally, clearly, because you, you've seven this pretty well. And it, it's not in your reality. And I'm. Yeah. Just reframe it. Yeah. I just like, oh, okay. That's, this is what I would be in a different vocation. All right. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's do, I got, um, okay. We, I got this question from someone who uh, listens to the podcast and they said that that they always hear us talking about these different parts of christianity so you're oh evangelical or that person's a catholic or that's a charismatic or that's a calvinist and they go honestly i don't have any boxes to put those titles in and you're kind of having this dropped on you like i, I assume you don't have some church history graph in front of you so in some ways we can call this like Drunk church history with Jonathan, but, but <laughs> okay. you're, you're not drunk I off. Am, I do have medicine head. Well, I, I was going to say more drunk off ignorance than uh, alcohol, mm. but, but yeah, like <laughs> dr- dr- drunk off medicine. Let's do that. Okay, so uh, let's let's do let's do thirty seconds. Big picture of Christianity, the big breaks. You got thirty seconds to do this, and we're going to start thirty in, seconds. Yeah, and starting in three okay, seconds. Okay, wait, not, do you want me to give uh, Church of Christ answer, or do you want me to, because I can do that. <laughs> Established AD 33. Direct uh, line to... Went along for a couple of, yeah, went along for a couple hundred years just fine, and um, did apostasy somewhere around 1800. We uh, dug the, the... Church of Christ back up. There it is. Yeah. Okay, now let's do the what we let's just call it the uh, the real one. Um, next, okay, uh, thirty seconds. Okay, are you gonna are you gonna correct all that? This is this is not accurate. What I'm about to say. Okay. Hold on, Jonathan. People have listened to you for thirty minutes this podcast <laughs> and for countless other ones. You think they don't know that already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You're okay. You want me to do it? Go for it. Okay, church is born, uh, apostles go, go all over, um, so there's uh, Eastern and African branches, it really uh, consolidates power more in Rome, around 300, uh, there's Greek Orthodox, they get in an argument over the real F word, philoke, which is how they understand the Holy Spirit in something like 8th century, and then... Uh, Rome kind of rocks along. The Greek Orthodox is that they're never going to change anything again. Rome kind of rocks along, doing just fine until about the 15th century. 
when they go one a heresy too far and a guy named Luther nails something on the door says, I'm not going to do this anymore. But he's really not trying to split the Catholic Church. He's just trying to reform it. Um, so Luther says, uh, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to do things the right way. And then Luther gets Zwingli and some other people, and they can't, Calvin, and they can't quite figure out what right way is. And so they come up with uh, Sola Scriptura, Sola, um, Sola Faith, and Sola, what is it, Grace? You're doing great, John. Anyway, so, okay, so and then uh, you got Zwingli, Calvin, and Luther, and it, then it just branches out to 30,000 different denominations today. Um, and still the Catholics who were like, hey, you were right about, you guys were right about, about one thing, but wrong about other stuff. Um, and <laughs> this is a terrible then, 30 second. 30, what about 30 seconds since you get? Uh, okay. Okay. So am I done? Do you want you, me to, well, you okay. want to take it from there? No, you I'll finish it. On to you. Finish it. Okay. So then we come to America. And we decide there's a, a thing of kind of revivalism. Uh, oh, Anglicans who got in a fight because they couldn't get divorced with Catholics. Uh, Anglicans, uh, most most of them come to America, or a lot of them. That's medicine talking. Most Anglicans didn't come to America. <laughs> a lot of. People from different denominations come to America, and then a lot of new denominations start. Uh, I don't think the world knew about Baptists until they got to America. Um, and now everybody in America is basically Baptist, including the atheists. But the ones that are not... What, is that wrong? Is that wrong? <laughs> the atheists are Baptists. That's the best line you've ever done. The God they don't believe in is the Baptist God. That's exactly so, right. That's... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, all right. So you basically have Catholic Church. You get First Council of Nicaea, uh, 325. That's after Constantine's conversion. So you got 4th century. A lot of stuff happens. Fast forward, um, what, 1100? And then you have kind of like the, the schism between the Eastern Orthodox, like the Eastern Church and the Western Church. 1500, you get the Reformation. Out of the Reformation, you get... Obviously, like Jonathan was saying, you know, Luther, Calvin are the kind of like the big players in that. So you have Lutheran church comes from there. John Wesley, he's kind of traced through that with Methodist church. Uh, the, prod, the, um, the American version of the Anglicans is Jonathan. American version of the uh, Anglican church? Episcopalian? Episcopalians, yes. And so... Uh, Basically, from 500 on is when, like, for all of us Protestants, that's all the exciting stuff. And then you get all of our traditions from that um, Church of Christ, kind of 1800s, 19. What is it? Anna, well, hold on, hold on. We forgot Anabaptists. Anabaptists, I think, are really exciting, and people should pay attention to them because Anabaptists were the people who said, uh, if you if you want to say Christian uh, Christians can't go to war. Or Christians should be different than the world around them. Or Brian's on, basically. Yes, if you want to do that, you're related to Anabaptists, who who were tortured and killed by other Christians um, because Christian was a civil thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to know what the uh, census, you would look at baptismal records. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Anabaptists said, no, people should be able to choose whether or not they want to follow Jesus. And um, they were, that's, uh, so they only believed in adult believers' baptism because they believed it was important that you made a choice uh, if you were going to be expect. So, you know, everybody from the Amish to Churches of Christ have Anabaptist roots. Yeah. I don't know if that really is going to answer every question, but... The big boxes. Evangelical. Evangelical. Like you're going to say the evangelical church started. Ah, oh jeez. What is? I don't know the start date on that, but it's 100, 200 years old, and it's me and Spurgeon and people like that, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a. Obviously, that's a f- form of the Protestant church. Um, anyway, okay. I feel like we di- we did that. Um, all right. I've got to get out. Just a couple minutes. Um, we we talked about it a lot today. You know, I wanted to do. I wanted to do one of the best. One of the. I don't think it's the best thing. One of the most fascinating things about you, Jonathan, is that you have a ranking of your friends. You have a ranking of your friends. You've true. you've ranked them, and I'm currently number five. Have I dropped? Pull it up. Let me pull it up. You literally still have it on your phone. Oh, Jonathan has a ranking of friends on his phone. If you wonder why Jonathan's the way he is, it's because he thinks ranking his friends, putting it in an Evernote, oh, he's holding up to the screen. Don't read it off. You can just read what number you are. Oh. <laughs> Five. I'm just going to say Rick actually is right above me. Like, I'm, I'm not offended by that. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Rick actually is number... What do I have to do to get ahead of Rick? What would I need to do to knock Rick down? Uh, be fiercely loyal. Um, always encouraging. I mean, those two things right there are going to knock What's, you out. What about like, more realistic stuff that I could do? I don't know. Donate a kidney. Um, if I give you $10,000... <laughs> How high would that get me in the list? <laughs> I mean, we're remodeling a house right now, so it, it would move. Do I get above Rick for 10000 bucks? Yeah. If, if there's an offer on the table, yeah, I'll take that. Okay, I'll remember Rick that. Rick doesn't even know about the list, so... Do you think he would rank you? petty enough to care about it. He might lo- drop you on his list just knowing that you have this list. But hold on, before you throw me at, like make me look like an idiot. The reason that Brian Shackman, who's the one who talked me into doing this, the, re- the, the reason I think it's important is because it's a good reminder of this, how people got on the list is if they know my junk and I know theirs. If we regularly um, communicate and if we make uh, habitual times every year to be able to spend a lot of time together. Um, and so that list is on there to make sure that as an Enneagram three, my friends are, my real friends are a priority to me over other things. So I mean, that, that sounds better than just going, who do I like the most? It's a reminder, that, that, like to prioritize. <laughs> Here, like one of the, here's yeah. one of the things about church is that people are like, you know, you know, we're going to leave the church, but we're still going to be friends with everyone. We're, you know, we're still going to be friends. We just, we're, we're going to go to a different church. And what they omit is the fact that commonality in space and time 
is, oh, yeah. is yeah. like is the incubator for substantial relationships. The reason that you're close right. to these people is because you have regular habitual practices of being around them. And so for people like you and me, who like some of our best friends are people we've known for decades, but because of our jobs, we move around and we go to different places. We rarely live in the same city as people who do what we do for a living and our closest friends. So you have to make a point to spend time with them. So that's right. Yeah. I, we're, we're, I got to run. I literally have to go run. But next time, I want us to rank our beliefs. Like the things that, like the tenets of the faith that are most important to you. That like if you're like this one, ha- like I have to have it. What's a top tier? And then kind of work from there. Because I think in okay. the Bible, like there's this, like Paul will say, this is what I hold to be of first importance. And Jesus said, that, like this is the greatest command. And so there is like a, a level of normalcy of having certain things to be most important. And so we're going to do that with our beliefs next time on the podcast. But I, we, okay, I'll be resurrection. You'll be what? Head coverings? Because of the hairpiece, I was assuming. You know, that's just rude. Just absolutely rude. Shame. Hey, it was a good month. All your, all your, I loved all the podcasts this month. Did you, <clears throat> so. you know, I've gotten people who think that, uh, Margaret, that like. Yeah! I was <laughs> super, I, I loved her like personality and. Yeah. This, uh, anyway. <clears throat> I had no interest in doing a book about food, like literally zero interest. Now, I since I'm doing the Lord's Prayer and I'm talking about the bread of life, I was like, oh, I can rip something off for a sermon series, and I'm going to. But because she's a friend of a friend, a couple friends, we did it, and I was like, oh yeah, she's great. She's a lot of fun. Obviously, Brian Zahn's book. Uh huh. I haven't I haven't read Postcards from Babylon yet. It, like for for people who are Anabaptists, like I, I think you've got to mm-hmm. see what he's doing. I mean, he's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to get a lot of flack on that and one. Scott, Scotty Saul, I told you years ago, hey, you should do an interview with him. And then Annie Downs comes <laughs> in. And, well, oh, yeah, who's ranked higher on your list? I don't have a list. Uh-huh. I just you have do. love. I've, you do, because when she says you should interview somebody, <laughs> you do. <laughs> okay. And when I do, you think, oh, John is a Calvinist. Well, you kind of are a Calvinist. You're just a little. I'm not at all a Calvinist. The majority of people that you want me to have on the podcast are Calvinists. Swoboda, Calvinist. Sauls, Calvinist. He's a Calvinist. He's a pseudo Calvinist. Okay. All right. All right, man. I've got to run calling my name. Jonathan, I know that you've got to run or something like that because you're sick. But um, anyway, you know what? I'm proud of you, Jonathan. You're really doing good things in Arkansas. J.D. Stormit. That's what we're going to call you from now on. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. See you, buddy. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.